Hi, and welcome to The Student Sums It Up. My name's Sam. And I'm Maggie. And every week, we sit down with our writers to bring you updates on Amherst's latest news. Today, March 9th, we discussed the lack of support from the Administration for Language Assistance, a two-year reflection on the effect of the COVID-19 pandemic, and an overview of the Center for Restorative Practices. Stay tuned. Today, I'm joined by Guillaume Sances Hasha, and we will be discussing an article written on the language assistants here at Amherst College. Could you tell me a little bit about your article? Yeah, sure. It basically explains what the language assistant position is. Uh, so what do they do here at college, who they are, uh, and also talks a little bit about uh, the, the hardships that they had to go through throughout the pandemic uh, and the general lack of support that they felt uh, when they are they were working remotely for the college. Um, so yeah, those are the two main things that the article touches on. Perfect. Can you um, talk to me a little bit about when this lack of support really started? You discussed the pandemic. Was this in um, March of 2020 that it started? Yeah, so um, the LAs were supposed to come here on on fall of 2020 uh, but because of the pandemic they couldn't really come they had to work remotely and that's when um, basically the lack of support started uh, they had to stay remotely working remotely from their cities from their homes but um, if had they come here they would have received support from the school when it comes to housing when it comes to food but since they had to stay work in their their their, their countries and their cities working remotely they just received the stipend um, which is about six thousand and nine hundred dollars and Although for some Malays, that was enough for them to just like uh, survive in their cities. For others, that was way below uh, the amount that they needed to, 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 to pay for, for housing in, in their cities and to pay for all the expenses that they had. So the LAs are bound by a contract that they made with Fulbright, uh, most of them. And because of this contract, they, they basically had to reject other job opportunities and leave other jobs that they had to dedicate themselves to the college since it's a lot of work that they had to to put into the, the college and uh, they just felt like their work wasn't really being compensated they weren't receiving enough they had to leave all those opportunities behind and they, they felt really frustrated and disappointed by the year that they were working remotely yeah can you tell me a little bit about how the language assistance support support the college so we have language assistance of several languages here we have language assistance of spanish french uh russian and basically what they do is well they 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 support the professors by giving classes they prepare full classes and they give classes every week for students and discuss discussion session sections for students they also prepare um basically uh, resources for students to practice the target language outside of classes so they organize uh, language tables which are a space in which you can go and talk with them in in the the, the target language for spanish uh, language assistance i know that they prepared the tertulia which is also another opportunity for students to go and to talk and to communicate in spanish and to learn the target language and they also have the, the extra departmental events that they have to prepare uh they live in the thematic houses for so for example spanish tas they live in newport and they also 
are kind of responsible for taking care of the house. Like some of the responsibilities fall over them. They have to organize events. So yeah, they do a lot of work when it comes to creating a community and uh, allowing students to practice their target language. So you mentioned that they have a contract with Fulbright. Can you discuss this a little bit? How does Amherst College employ them through Fulbright? From what I understand of the process is they are approved by Fulbright to be language assistants in the U.S. And then they have to go through a matching process. Uh, So they have like 10 schools of options that I think they they can choose and they can like put as their first, second, third option. And so it goes and then Fulbright matches them, which, which what they think is the best school match for them. And then... The Fulbright and the school organized the whole contract, so for like for the payment and for the stay here in the college. Do you have any student reactions to how the language assistants have had a lack of support throughout the pandemic? Um, not really. The article focuses more on what the language assistants have to say mm-hmm. about what they had to go through throughout the pandemic and what they do, and we also. We also talked a little bit with Katherine Epstein, which is the Dean of Trustees. Um, and she, uh, the, the questions that we asked her were basically focusing on uh, why, uh, why was the compensation, the compensation that the LAs received. And uh, most of her answers were basically like, oh, the, the, that's how it has been working for years. <laughs> and uh, this is how it has been working. So that's what they received. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. Today, I sat down with Karina Maciel and Kaylin McCulkin as we talked about two years, literally two years to the day when students were kicked off campus at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Could you guys give me just a little overview of the article? So for this article, we basically decided that it would be valuable to just collect and sort of try and piece together the wide range of reflections, thoughts, and feelings that different members of the college community have on the two-year anniversary. Um, So for some people, this meant looking back at the day that they were sent home from campus. For other people, it meant looking back on the end of high school that they missed out on and what it was like coming to Amherst during COVID. Um, For others, it was more along the lines of how their workplace changed or how supporting their students became a different thing. Um, And so having this wide range of reactions really came to highlight how difficult and how like variable it is to process COVID. Um, And I think The idea is just sort of for it to be a a glimpse of how Amherst is reckoning with these two years of the pandemic that is still going on. So could you tell me how you gathered this information? We conducted some just traditional, regular interviews with students, faculty members, and staff by sitting down and talking with them. And then we also placed a box inside the dining hall with a range of questions and just sort of some like signage around it saying use this place to reflect on COVID and I'd say we got probably over 50 responses just written on paper in that box with a wide range of responses that were literally three words long to like long paragraphs written out Um, and so yeah those were the primary ways that we got information. So Karina could you tell me a little bit about um, any staff or faculty reflection 
that you found? I talked to um, Dean of Students, Rick Lopez, and he we talked about a lot of things, but I think one of the most important things that he mentioned is that just the past two years for him have been really hard, and he's been feeling kind of disconnected. And I think that's a sentiment that's kind of mirrored in a lot of people on campus, um, no matter like what their position is, whether they're students or staff. Are there any other interesting faculty or staff members that you guys spoke to? Um, I spoke with two women working in Val who they recounted the day that they had been working in the dining hall when students received the email and they received information that students would be sent home. And so they had a lot of reflections about students looking to them for help or understanding of what was going on, but they just recounted being just as confused um, and sort of just not knowing what was going on, not knowing this idea that like everything in the world was about to change. I also spoke with a custodian who recounted what it was like packing up students' rooms in those weeks around when we got sent home and what it was like working at the college continuously through the pandemic and how it has just changed so many aspects of like the community here, but also her own life and like sort of this combination of wanting to appreciate time more because you realize how valuable it is, you know, in the kind of like cliche way that everyone has said. And then at the same time, sort of finding it so hard to like get through these years. Can you tell me uh, any student reactions that you gathered? Um. Yeah, so I talked to... Haoran Tong, who's a junior, he mentioned that he's been on campus since the pandemic started because he's an international student. And um, I think one of the interesting things that he mentioned that he's done in the past two years is he worked with a professor, Professor Kiao, um, and they did this photography project called the Memorial Hill Photography Project. And so at the very beginning of the pandemic, like in 2020, they gathered a bunch of students and faculty and staff who were still on campus and even alumni from the town of Amherst and their families. And they took these really, like, really cool kind of reflective photos on Memorial Hill. And, yeah, the photos are in black and white, and, like, they have close-up shots and, like, faraway shots. And just, like, thinking, again, about how the way people interact with each other has changed. Yeah, I also spoke with Myra O. Weiss, who's a junior as well, and she's been a member of the COVID Student Task Force. And so she had reflections on how COVID has changed student relationships with the administration and how she feels that COVID really forced the administration to have to see the impact of their policies on students' lives. And as a result of this, the administration both became a bigger part of students' experience at Amherst, and it also kind of created a culture of students having more reason and like initiative to try and hold the administration accountable for their actions, which has sort of extended into issues beyond COVID. Um, and then also through the reflection box, there were such a wide range. There were a lot of students who expressed frustration with their mental health and the masking policies and feeling as if they missed out on years of college. There were some people who just reflect more generally. Someone said, my life has changed so much since March 2020, but sometimes I feel as though I am still there, like nothing has changed at all. And um, another person said, I was very lonely, but music got me through it. Another said, I was a freshman then, I'm a junior now. I feel like I've aged 10 years, but also I should still be a freshman. 
last year on campus burned me out. I'm glad it's starting to go back to normal. And then another broader reflection was, we've kept going and going and never really stopped, despite the fact that we've all been experiencing a natural disaster like no one's ever experienced before. But where did the time go for surviving? Reflecting, thinking, dwelling about what happened. Will I ever really comprehend how many lives were lost? Another reflected, I met my soulmate. Someone else said, I've learned that my laugh is loud enough to be heard across campus. Thank you so much for filling us in about other people's own interactions with the past two year and the reconciliation that we're all trying to achieve. Thank you. So today I'm sitting down with managing podcast editor Sam Spratford to discuss the Center of Restorative Practice, or most commonly known as known as CRP. Um, so Sam, can you tell me a little bit about your article? Yeah, sure. So um, my desire to write this article really came out of me wanting to like spread awareness about the CRP and what they do on campus. So this is an explainer piece sort of going over their philosophy and the restorative circles that they do for the community, which we'll talk more about later, um, and how they are involved, um, especially in the movement for police reform on Amherst campus. Um, so I cover a lot of different things in here, but overall, I just hope to um, paint a picture of the CRP's place in the Amherst community. Can you give me a little bit um, of context about the founding of the CRP? It's a, it's a relatively new yeah. institution yeah, to sure. Amherst College. So the CRP was founded in 2021, actually. Whoa. Um, but I think... Its history is a lot longer than that in a variety of ways. The deepest roots of the CRP are in regional indigenous practices around New England. Um, I spoke to the, the director of the CRP, Suzanne Belecci, who has traveled extensively over the course of 25 years. She's done a lot of on-the-ground participation with indigenous practice around the world, like in Micronesia. She um, witnessed some restorative practices in Rwanda post-genocide. So she has done a lot of this like on-the-ground learning about what restorative practice means. And she told me that the Abenaki um, and the Mennonite communities of Canada are at least the regional um, inspirations for her own center. The Abenaki indigenous community has a tradition of sitting in a circle and passing a talking piece to focus the deep listening on the speaker, hearing from the heart of both a harm doer and those who have been harmed. And then also the Mennonite communities in Canada adopted these same practices as a way to welcome home those who have served time in prison and to prevent recidivism. Um, so that's sort of the indigenous uh, those are sort of some of the indigenous roots of this practice. For Amherst specifically, 
The idea for a restorative justice center first came around after the 2015 Amherst uprising, which I'm sure most people are aware of. The central demand of the 2015 Amherst uprising was that the college reckon with its history and make transparent and sincere efforts at improving the lives of Black students, staff, and faculty on campus. Um, and I spoke with assistant program director at the CRP, Atri Ranganathan, who is also from the Amherst class of 2016. So he was actually there for for the Amherst Uprising, which is kind of interesting. Um, he said that the CRP was one tangible initiative that emerged from the longing for greater equity and belonging expressed by the uprising. And so after that, students collaborated to research restorative practice um, and how it might be implemented at Amherst. And then eventually under the inaugural direction of Professor Alan Hart, um, the center was founded in 2021. So... You talked a little bit about how the uh, Center of Restorative Practices has been used in police reform across campus. Um, Can you discuss that a little bit? And can you also discuss uh, the steps that are taken in a circle? Yeah, sure. So um, the CRP's involvement with uh, police reform began uh, last fall, the fall of 2021. They held a series of restorative circles called Exploring Policing and Campus Safety at Amherst. Um, These restorative circles um, included everyone from like students, administrators, faculty, police officers, really anyone who is part of the Amherst community and has an interest in community safety. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to speak to anyone who participated in those particular circles, but I was able to speak to Andrew Leung, who is a senior, and he's also the diversity, equity, and, and inclusion representative for the men's squash team. He told me about a restorative circle he did recently with his squash team it basically consisted of him first reaching out to assistant director fabio iola um to talk to him about the team's needs um their values and who they are as a team they sat down at this circle and iola basically walked them through a series of questions they were like very open they were meant to like promote um, deep listening and strengthen a feeling of community within the team. So like an example of a question that he asked was share a time in your life when you felt you couldn't speak for your authentic self. Like there are these really, really big questions. And Leung actually told me that at first he was very skeptical that people were going to be able to talk about these things, that it was actually going to be effective. He said, um, everyone on the team agreed by the end of it that they'd never felt closer. So I guess it's this format of the restorative circle that I feel like um, that from what people have told me um, opens up mutual understandings and like deep listening. And with an issue as polarizing as policing on campus, um, I think it's very helpful that they are holding these circles um, to talk about policing explicitly. And actually, they passed over the summary of what uh, came up in these uh, policing circles to the Campus Safety Advisory Committee, who is the committee charged with providing safety recommendations um, for Amherst. And that report is going to come out soon, I think. And more broadly, also, um, restorative practices are like inherently about safety in a way. That's what uh, Balechi told me in our interviews. She said, restorative models facilitate a model of safety wherein every member of the community holds a responsibility to one another and wrongdoings aren't individualized, but rather taken as 
a community responsibility and conflict is resolved the same way. It's resolved collectively rather than blaming everything on one person and expecting them to change alone. It's about the community helping that person be held accountable for what they've done in a way that's productive rather than just punitive. Thank you so much for speaking to me with me today, Sam. Thank you. Special thanks to the team at The Student, including Ethan Samuels, Lynn Lee, Kaylin McQuilkin, and Tana Delalio. Thank you also to our audio editor, Spencer Michaels. Once again, I'm Sam. And I'm Maggie. And we'll see you next week on The Student Sums It Up. Thank you.